Well, I want to extend a very warm welcome to you this morning, whether you're watching online or here in the building at 55 Columbia Boulevard. We are thrilled to be together and taking the first step into our re-entry plan and uh, hoping soon that things will maybe come back to normal or things will become more normal as we uh, worship together and as we are together. You know, one of the best holidays I ever took as a kid was to the Black Hills in South Dakota. And if you've never been, I would encourage you that when the borders reopen and we're allowed again, to put this on your list of places to go. It's an absolutely fascinating place. And when my parents first told my sister and I that we were going to be going to the, to the Black Hills, um, we didn't really understand how great it was going to be. And yet when we arrived, we found just an extremely special place, themed after the old Wild West. Uh, it was just so much fun. We visited first in uh, Yellowstone National Park and then moved over and saw Mount Rushmore and museums and, and just different places had piles of fun exploring it all. But perhaps the, the ultimate experience or the best experience of the whole thing came one day when we went to explore a gold mine, an exhausted gold mine that now had become a tourist attraction. We arrived and again, didn't really know what to expect because we'd never been to this place before, but soon got caught up in, in sort of the gold syndrome or, or the gold rush syndrome that comes as you go to places like that. And I remember um, touring around and seeing the equipment and the pictures and then trying my hand at gold panning and, and just having lots of fun. But the best part came at the very end, when we were going to get to go down into the mine and experience what it was like underground for ourselves. I remember standing in line and being a little bit nervous about going so far down deep into the earth. And as we were getting ready to load onto the elevator, we were given a hard hat with a light on top. And finally, our family, it was our turn, and we got to go in. It was like one of those old-school uh, elevators that you would see in a, in a movie, in an old movie. It had the wire mesh sides. It had the big pulleys and the wheels and the, and the, the wire and, and all of that. And as we slowly lowered into the earth, I uh, became a little more nervous because you just started to realize that the gravity of the place you were in, but also it just became darker and darker the further down we got. Finally, after what seemed like forever, we got to the bottom of the elevator shaft and we came out into a dimly lit room and there we met our guide, a really friendly young lady who was going to tell us the story uh, of the gold vein that they had found uh, and, and just walk us through the history of this now exhausted mind. It was an amazing place and I remember um, noticing the stalagmites and the stalactites that were on the ceiling and walking through the cold, damp hallways of this mine shaft. And again, once again, um, as we'd come to the bottom of this shaft and now we were moving away from the elevator, the, the, the further we got away, the colder and darker and damper and mustier the environment became. We finally got to the end of the shaft and it opened up into a small room. And in the room, there were some benches that we would sit down on and the, the tour guide would continue to tell her story. And as we sat there, she reached up on the wall and grabbed what was an old, an old switch a big red uh, arm almost. And as she, as she told her story, she reached for it and pulled it down and shut off the power in the room. It was unbelievable. I've never been in darkness like that before. It was, you could feel the darkness around you. In fact, it was so intense, if I can use that expression, that when I put my hand in front of my face, I could feel my breath on the palm of my hand. 
but I couldn't distinguish the detail of my fingers or my hand in any way whatsoever. As we sat there, it didn't take long before I could hear the lady behind me starting to um, sort of come unglued a little bit. Slowly, she started to panic and become anxious. And those slow, shallow breaths soon, to become, soon became loud and, and really distinguishable. At one point, I felt like I could, I could feel her squeezing her husband's hand behind me, and she really began to panic. She began to breathe loud and, and louder still, and, and she began to lose control. And in what seemed to be the height of her anxious panic attack, in the middle of that, somebody held up their arm, and there was a small Timex watch. At that time, the indigo arms on the watch, had, or hands on the watch, had just come out. And in that, in that dark, dark light, or darkness, that tiny bit of light seemed to have a powerful effect upon her. Her deep, anxious breath soon began to come into rhythm. You soon began to hear her, while still loud, gain control. And she calmed right down. And finally, when the tour guide got to the end of her blurred, she turned the lights back on. I'm sure she felt the pressure of the moment. But she turned the lights back on. And this lady, it was as though she had never been panicked to begin with. And we, and we finished out our tour. This morning, we're continuing on our series called Unstuck, which has been a journey through the book of Philippians. And at its heart, we've been talking about how to live and how to find the joy-filled life in the midst of difficult circumstances and how we can very practically move our lives from feeling and being stuck, or un yeah, stuck, and moving it forward to places of being unstuck. And this morning, we want to continue on and, and delve a little deeper into these truths. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to keep them open to the passage that Angela just led us through. Um, and thank you for that, Angela. But we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, and flesh this apart and hopefully glean a couple of truths from here today. As Paul starts into this passage, he's He's speaking to this church that he dearly loves, that he has huge affection for. And we can read this right away. He says, therefore, my dear friends, like he's just gushing with affection for these people. And yet he's calling them to live in response to something that he's just said that's really significant. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, we read it from verses 6 to 13, what we call the Christ hymn, which is actually like a short gospel account of, of the work that Jesus has done. And it's powerful, friends. This is a straight-up gospel message. It speaks into the reality of, of Jesus, who was in nature God, humbled himself and took on flesh and, and made himself nothing to hang on a cross so that we could be set free from the chains of sin, so that we could be given eternity, so we could receive the Holy Spirit, and so that, that every tongue on earth could come on into relationship with him and experience and know the benefit uh, of calling him Lord. And, and experiencing the glory of God. It's a powerful message. And so what Paul does is he says to these people he loves, he says, you've just heard something powerful. Now, therefore, in response to that, live in this way. And he brings us back to something that we talked about in the beginning of this series on the foundation of joy in life. And he brings it to the surface again because he's recognized that there are a couple of audiences that are rising up that might have missed that foundational message and need to get their life back on track and back on the route and the road of the Christian life once again. Paul is addressing two very distinct crowds here, or actually maybe even three crowds. There's the, 
the crowd that was in relationship with him, and we'll talk about uh, that in a moment, but these two outer crowds is the ones I want to talk about for a moment. And I want us to think about them in light of, of a road in the middle with ditches on the side. On my left, your right, is the ditch of the works-based theology crowd. These were people that did things and said things and were things and showed things that, that would prove to God and prove to others that they were worthy of a blessing or they were worthy of a gift or something. And, and the extreme far side of this is sort of the, the pharisaical, fundamentalist uh, way of living that we, we read about in the scriptures. But, but these people really believed that, that if they did the right things, that it would bring them joy in life and, and allow them to live in the unstuck places. And really what they found is that in the extreme parts of this, and even in the, in the not-so-extreme parts of this, this actually robbed them of joy and put them into places of being trapped and being in chains. And Paul saw, Paul saw the struggle in this. On the other side of the road, in the other ditch, was the, the grace-based theology crowd. These were people that, that really... Um, just wanted to continue to live their life as they always had. They were arrogant and greedy and proud and, and weren't willing to allow Jesus to transform their life, but understood that Jesus had come to forgive us of our sins. And so they believed that they could do whatever they wanted and be whatever they wanted and say whatever they wanted and consume whatever they wanted. And, and it goes on and on and on. They could do all of these things. And at the end of the day, they could just ask for forgiveness and they would be forgiven and would receive the benefits of the Christian life anyway. And the problem that Paul saw over here was that this was a way to find temporary joy. It wasn't something that would be lasting, but rather it would be temporal. And, and it was just fleeing and fleeting from the life that Paul knew Jesus wanted us to have. And so he says something powerful here. He says, therefore, in consideration or in light of what we just outlined of what Jesus has for us, he says, live in this way. He says here, as we continue on in verse 12, I told you this in my presence. When I was with you, I, I enforced and I, I reinforced and I, I, I shared with you what it's like to live in the center of the road with Jesus. Our lives live in response and, and in obedience to the things that he's, he's prompted us to and the things that, that he's calling us to. He's given us his Holy Spirit and so as the Holy Spirit leads us to deeper places with him and into wholeness of relationship with him and with others. He says, because of what I've done, I want you to live in response to that. And he says, this is the way, walk in it. I told you about this when I was with you. And now he says, even more so, in my absence, you have to understand this message. And he reminds us here of the realities of living in relationship with Jesus. It's not just about checking a box or, or marking or making a list and doing the right things. It's not about just ultimately knowing that we have forgiveness and living however we want anyway. It's about living in obedience to the one who made the roadway for us straight and who made the roadway for us right. And as we understand that, as we celebrate that, as we embrace that, hearing the voice and the promptings of the Holy Spirit and obediently stepping forward one day at a time and living in the joys that come with relational living. At the core of this, what Paul is saying is that we will, we will live with unstuck realities. We will live joy-filled lives. And that doesn't mean that life's going to get easy or that we're not going to have struggles come our way. But it doesn't matter what comes our way in life. 
when we live in relationship and response to the work of Christ in our lives. There will be a joy that comes and we will avoid the ditches of life, the ditches of the faith, and we won't get stuck, but instead we'll live with the unstuck reality of Jesus. Someone, re- someone recently said on social media that whatever it is that Jesus is asking us to give up, whatever he's asking us to do, when we live in obedience to whatever it is, our lives will be far superior and far richer, even if we have to give something up, than if we would have held on to what it was that we were holding on to before. Sometimes living in the middle of the road The reality of that existence means that we're going to have to do things that might be uncomfortable and even hard. But the joy that comes, the joy that that Jesus modeled for us, that comes even after struggle and strife, will be far superior than to the joy that we try to find when we just exist in the ditches of life or the ditches of the faith. It's a different way of living, friends. And in days that feel dark and oppressive and heavy and weighty, it's a way of living that allows the light of Christ to shine in us, but also through us, and allows others around us to see the life change that takes place in our lives as we live in relationship with him, with Jesus. You know, this can look like many different things, but through it all, I believe and I know because I've experienced that The Holy Spirit's going to reveal these areas in our heart that we need to move forward in or we need to grow in, we need to strengthen in. The Holy Spirit will reveal these things um, to us and out of a loving response for what Jesus has done for us, we will embrace and do whatever the Holy Spirit asks us to do, even if it might come at a cost. It's not always going to be comfortable. And in fact, often it might be very hard. It It might involve some work. But the freedom that will come, the joy that will come, the sense of being unstuck that will help us to move forward, it's like the tent pegs of life will be pulled out and we'll be able to step out of the ditch and back onto the road of relationship and journey with Jesus. This isn't always easy stuff, but ultimately it will lead us to powerful places of joy and a significant um, season an eternal sense of walking with Jesus and living in freedom, even when life gets messy and hard like we're experiencing right now. Paul says here, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not to say that we have to be fearful of things in life. It's saying out of reverence and awe for God, move forward and it's going to be hard, but it's always going to be right. And it will lead Uh, us to places where we fulfill God's good purposes for our lives. Well, Paul continues on here with a practical challenge, and he says in verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. What he calls us to is to shine a light for Jesus, and probably he's touching on something here that's going to poke a little bit to people who are believers in in a modern day like today. For us in Southern Alberta, or others of us who are in in England or Brazil, or wherever we're watching from, other parts of this province or this country, or hopefully this world, this is going to poke into a spot that might be a little bit uncomfortable. But the practical implications of this are powerful. Paul is inviting us to live counter 
culturally. And in doing so, one commentary writer wrote and said that this is like a shock of cold on a hot day. It's a strong message. And while there's a specific strong call to not complain or grumble or argue, the implications of this are far greater than that. What Paul's inviting us to here is something that we call uh, in, in theological circles, shalom. It's the restoration of all things here on earth. It's the, it's the opportunity to bring kingdom realities, the practices of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and implement it into the world around us. He's again act, at, inviting us to act out of response to Christ. But he's asking us to do it in a way where the world can see it and hopefully desire it for themselves as we live in a countercultural response and live like Jesus. We're living in fascinating days in Alberta these days, aren't we? The realities of COVID is that life has felt and been very different for uh, many months now. And even previous to COVID, we lived in realities that were somewhat unfamiliar to life as we knew it before. The economic realities, the practical realities, the environmental realities, the the political realities have been very different in recent years than ways that we knew even two or three years ago. Or even more. For so many of us, and myself included very, uh, very truly, when we look at the realities that we live in, we have a propensity to complain. And a propensity to, well, we used to be able to gather in the coffee shops, maybe not so much anymore, but a propensity that when we're together, uh, we can point fingers and place blame in places that, that maybe we shouldn't. And the reality is, is that as much as our natural inclination as humans is to complain and point fingers and get bitter and frustrated, as we read this passage, Paul directs us to, to walk away from the complaining and the bitterness and to paint pictures of Jesus in a warped and crooked world. He invites us first, as we read about in, this, in the first part of this passage, to become unstuck and joyful in the realities of Jesus in our lives, and then to pass it forward and help others to do exactly the same. To understand the work of Jesus around us and become unstuck and flourish with joy like we have ourselves. Paul invites us here to live as Jesus did, out of response for what he's done for us, and then to pass it forward for others. And I want to invite us to think about what this looks like for a moment. Think about what it would mean to live counterculturally, to paint pictures of Jesus, to, to bring kingdom realities here to earth as we read about in Scripture and as we know about from the life of Jesus and actually live them out and, and bless other people in Jesus' name. It would, feel, it would feel strange. It would feel different. As people turn inward through times like COVID, we would be people who reach outward. Also in times like COVID, as people are harboring resources in their homes, we are generously passing things out. As people are complaining about the government or about the authorities, we are encouraging and praying and respecting our, our authorities as the Bible instructs us to do. And as we do, eyes will lift up, people will notice, the light of Christ will shine forward as we paint pictures of Jesus in a world that's broken and that's falling apart. And this is what shalom is, friends. 
It's about bringing the peace of Christ forward. It's about seeking the welfare of our city. It's about serving those who are different than us. And when we live lives that are loving and sacrificial and forgiving and humble and compassionate and gentle and patient, lives that have self-control and are honest and our relationship, there's going to be a dynamic about our lives that not only is attractive, but that will shine light in darkness and make a difference for the kingdom of God and the glory of God and the joy of his people. It's going to fill us, friends. And it's going to feel strange when the Holy Spirit invites us to step into darkness and to shine light there and to bring these kingdom realities or these kingdom principles into play. It's going to feel strange. But it's going to bring a blessing that never could have come had we not discerned and heard and leaned into the message of what Paul's giving to us here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 6 says this about this reality. He says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who, li- who live with sin in the land, and for those who live sin, where there's sin in the land, where death cast its shadow, a light has shone. Think about this in the life of Jesus because we see it with regularity. In a dark and a weary world, Jesus stepped in and counter-culturally lived his life different. And in doing so, he changed eternity for people. I think of John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And on three different levels, he counter-culturally engages with this woman. First of all, this was a Samaritan woman that was interacting with a Jewish man. Secondly, it was... It was a, a male leader who was interacting with a, a female a woman who was, who was a, a commoner. And thirdly, this was, um, you know, just a, a broken spirit who was engaging with a whole person, human, yes, and divine also. Jesus interacts with this woman, and in doing so, he, he, he shows her the better way. He blesses her and her life is eternally changed. And a blessing comes and she moves from a spot of being stuck to unstuck and a place where she could be joy-filled. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 9, we read about the story of the woman who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus. And as she did, the Bible says that Jesus felt the power flow out of him. And so he stops in the middle of a crazy crowd throngs of people have gathered around him. The the disciples are pressing forward. They're almost pulling Jesus along because they're aware of the time uh, time of day and and the spot that they had to get to. And so there was pressure to get to that next spot. There was an urgency in the moment, and yet Jesus stops. And the disciples are like, are you crazy? We've We've got work to do. We have to keep going. And Jesus says, no, there's something important that I have to do here. And he stops and he gets down on his knees and he looks that woman in her eyes and in her brokenness, he speaks, he speaks into her life an identity and a healing and a love that never would have come had he not counterculturally got down and brought shalom into her world. This is Christ-like living, friends. And this is the reality of what Paul is inviting us into here. This is what Jesus longs for us. And it doesn't have to be complicated. We're not Jesus. But so oftentimes, the simple things that the Holy Spirit leads us to do 
will have an eternal impact that we might not understand or see here on earth, but that we'll soon find out in heaven when we get there. Jesus brings shalom to both of these women's lives and he considers their welfare and he lives as a peacemaker to both of them. He loved on them and he got down on his knees and he got onto their level and he blessed them to help them step up to the levels above them. The book of Jeremiah calls us to this kind of living, friends. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 7, and I'll just, I'll, I'll shrink it down a little bit because of our time. It says this. This is what the Lord of hosts says to all exiles. In present days, this is us, friends. We, this is not our forever home. Heaven's our, our forever home. So we are exiles living in this land. It's another sermon for another time. It says, this is what the Lord of hosts says to all exiles. This is to us. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you too will have welfare. This is our calling to seek the welfare of our city, to help our city step up, to help our city understand who our Lord is. And when we pray and when we serve, a blessing will come and it'll come to us and it'll be passed forward to others around us as well to see and experience the joy of Jesus. And this is what the passage says. It says, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the, on the sacrifice and service uh, coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's blessing and there's joy and there's a reality of living as, as unstuck people as we seek the welfare of others, as we help them to step up and step out in Jesus' name and paint pictures of Jesus in the spaces and places where Jesus has planted us. And let me just say this quickly. This does not come from places of perfection or arriving. We don't paint these pictures or do these things because we figured it out or, or, or because we've arrived. That idea or that posture will, will cause us to live in ditches like we talked about earlier. But instead, we paint these pictures as people who are in relationship with Jesus and who simply are walking in obedience with him, joyfully embracing the call and finding joy in him no matter what the earthly cost. Friends, I don't have this all figured out. In fact, lots of times in life, I sometimes mess this up. But let me tell you that in recent days, some of the most effective ministry that I've been a part of has been just uh, a willingness to show up with a smile on my face and an ear to listen. Going to places with neighbors or friends or with the police where I sometimes serve or here in the church. And in the midst of a dark and a broken and a oppressive season, just looking at somebody and smiling and saying, how are you doing? And can you tell me your story? It's powerful, friends. And in recent weeks, this has perhaps done more for the kingdom of God than having the right answer or leading in the right way or, 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 or reading the right book or whatever the case might be. It's simple. And it's a humble willingness to say yes to Jesus and then walk in step with him. 
And like I said before, I don't have this all figured out. There are days that I find myself deep in the ditches. But on the days when I even sort of get this right, the days when I simply paint simple pictures of Jesus, I've discovered a joy in my heart and a joy around me that seems to make the pressures of of the brokenness of life fade away. And joy come into the middle of a heavy season. Friends, these are not easy days, but they're also not defeated days. And I want to encourage us as a church family that Jesus has so much more for us. And often it's not even that complicated, but rather it's as simple as showing up. It's as simple as understanding the callings and the prompting of Jesus, of of listening to those and, and loving on those who the Holy Spirit is leading us to serve and humbly and sacrificially giving our time and our life and our gifts to bless others around us. In Jesus' name. Well, in so many ways, life feels like we're at the bottom of the mine shaft, doesn't it? But can I take us back to the beginning of this whole message for just a moment and remind us that even the smallest amount of light can bring hope to the darkest of circumstances. And so with that in mind, let me suggest two things that we can practically do this week that will really help to lift us and will really help us to shine a light for Jesus in the middle of of really dark days. And the first one would be this. Going back to the beginning, as we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, we must continually bring ourselves back to the true message of the gospel. And we must continue to celebrate it and remember it and, and be reminded of it daily. This happens in a few ways. We've We've talked about this a lot, but, but reading the Bible and, and understanding its message is, is central to this. Perhaps for you today and this week, you could go back to the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, and just remind yourself of the work that Jesus has done. Friends, you've been released from sin. You've been set free. You've been wiped clean by the almighty God of heaven through Jesus to have relationship with him. You're not bound in chains to your past. You're set free for an eternal and a hopeful future. We have to celebrate this and remind ourselves of this. For me this week, sometimes that's meant actually speaking this over my life. And so there's been times this week when I felt anxiety creeping in and I felt the weight of these days creeping in that in my car, driving to and from the church, I've had to speak these truths out loud. That I'm a son of the king. I'm an heir to the throne. My sins have been forgiven. I am not identified in my anxiety, but I'm identified in Jesus. And I speak it and I embrace it and it lifts me. Celebrate the gospel. Speak it over your life and remind yourself of its truths. Within this too, we need to have people in our lives who will warn us when we get into the ditches. So we have people in our life. One would be my wife, Ralna. Others would be dear friends who can say, I think you're getting a little far to the left or a little too far to the right. Come back to Jesus in the center and live in response and obedience to him. The second thing that we can do is be a part of this kingdom reality of of bringing shalom here to the earth, of painting pictures of Jesus daily. And so there's an important reality of daily quieting our souls so that we can hear the promptings of the Spirit and then courageously step forward in them. And can I just say it's not always going to make sense. 
But I promise us that as we do, as we shine the light of Christ, as long as it aligns with Scripture and aligns with the life of Jesus, not only will Jesus be glorified, but our lives will become joy-filled. And so, what is, in G- what is Jesus inviting us to do? Whatever it is, do that thing. Make the cookies, say the prayer, show up, listen, be present, give the gift, say the thing. And friends, for, for the love of Jesus, don't make it hard. Stop making excuses, stop saying no, and just, just step forward into the, into the thing that the Holy Spirit's asking us to do. And like I said, sometimes it's going to feel crazy. And sometimes it's even going to be hard. But the blessing that comes literally could mean eternity for someone. Had we not taken the risk to step out and counterculturally do the thing that Christ has invited us to do. Friends, I really believe that Jesus has more for us in these days. And as much as there's this sense of being stuck in these moments, I believe that very practically we can work in our lives to coming back to the middle of the road and experiencing the unstuck reality of relationship with Jesus and obedience to Jesus. And in doing so, I believe he's going to fill us with joy. Let me encourage us to once again consider two easy steps that we can take. Celebrating and remembering the gospel and painting pictures of Jesus and obediently following him. As we bring this into reality this week, I believe that we will experience this truth. There is one who is the true light. And there is one who gives light to everyone who's come to the world. Let's live in that blessed reality. Let's shine brightly for Jesus. Let's know his joy. And let's be set free and be unstuck. God bless. We'll talk soon.